you know, they could not just sit back and do nothing. The tin booms saw the Nazi regime steamroll through Amsterdam, and they decided that they had to do something. So Corey and her family opened up their home and created secret rooms for Jews to hide from the Nazis. Her father, who was a clockmaker by trade, he knew that God had given them a strategic house in which they could protect and hide the Jewish people. Now, I want to encourage you, if you have never read the book, The Hiding Place by Corey Tinboom, I'm going to encourage you to do it. Because you're going to read a story about a family who risked their lives in the midst of a great crisis. They leveraged their house. They utilized relationships in order to protect the Jews. You see, in the midst of crisis, the tin booms impacted their world. Well, that's what we see happening with Esther and Mordecai in Esther chapter 4. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Esther chapter 4. We're in the middle of a sermon series called Unseen Sovereign, in which we as a faith family, we're walking through the book of Esther together. And there are times in which we study this text and we see that God is not explicitly named and yet we still see him providentially working in the background. We have seen up to this point through the series of providential circumstances in which God has raised up Esther to be queen in, in Persia. What's stunning is that Esther is a Jew, but no one knows except for her cousin Mordecai who adopted her as her as her as his daughter. Mordecai in chapter 2 saves the king's life by reporting an assassination attempt to Esther. Esther then tells the king that the two assassins who they are and what they've done and they are then hanged in the gallows. But Mordecai's good deed apparently goes for forgotten by the king. Five years have now passed since the royal wedding, and we saw last week in chapter 3 that it was a dark day for God's people. Evil Haman has planned out the extermination of all the Jews in Persia. He has set a date according to the Pur, according to the casting of lots in chapter 3 verse 7, that 12 months from now all Jews will be exterminated. This is a significant crisis. But I want you to notice in the text these four principles for how we respond when a crisis strikes. The first I want you to see is this. Number one, there is a time to weep. A time to weep. After the king approved of Haman's evil plan, notice how Mordecai responds, verse one. When Mordecai learned that all that had occurred, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went into the middle of the city and cried loudly and bitterly. He went only as far as the king's gate since the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the king's gates. Mordecai wept over the situation that the Jews had found themselves in. He tore his clothes, which is a sign of deep distress. He put on sackcloth, which is a, a rough, abrasive material that you would feel really itchy in. It, he sprinkled ashes on his head as a sign of mourning in one who is in crisis. 
Now, Mordecai, he didn't mourn. He didn't weep in private. He went public with his lamenting. But notice he did not go near the king's gates. As you remember back in Nehemiah chapter 2, when Nehemiah began crying in front of King Artaxerxes, which is actually the son of King Ahasuerus, he felt fear. Why? Well, if you weep in front of the king or in his presence, it may trigger the king to get angry because he might think he's under attack or that there's things in his leadership that are not going right. It's a big no-no to show any negative emotion around the king. You see, kings would often insulate themselves from the realities of life around them, but not King Jesus. Jesus is interested in the hurt, in the pain, in the shame of his people. Jesus is not a king who insulates himself from the messiness of life. No, he draws near to the forgotten. He draws near to those who are in despair. Don't miss this. Jesus invites you to bring your ugly so he can make you beautiful. The cross of Jesus Christ is proof that God loves you and he welcomes you to bring him your burdens, bring him your agony, bring him your fears, bring him your sin and he will wash you. He will clean you. He will give you strength. He will give you joy. He will give you peace. You see, through the cross, Jesus takes your ugly and he makes you beautiful. But it wasn't just Mordecai who was broken over the predicament, but all of the Jews throughout the country are also weeping. Verse 3, there was great mourning among the Jewish people in every province where the king's command and edict came. They fasted, wept, and lamented, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Meanwhile, Esther, she is oblivious to everything that's happening. So her servants, they come and report to her what Mordecai is doing. She is, verse 4, overcome with fear. And so she sends him clothes to put on because she does not want the king to see him like this. But Mordecai rejects the clothes and he's letting her know this situation's bigger than you can imagine. Well, Esther, she has to get to the bottom of this. So this becomes, number two, a time to learn. A time to learn. Verse 5 Esther summoned Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs who attended her, and dispatched him to Mordecai to learn what he was doing and why. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gates. Mordecai told him everything that had happened as well as the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the Jews. You see, Esther wants to know what Mordecai is doing and why he's doing it. And what we see play out through the rest of this chapter is that Mordecai and Esther start playing an old-fashioned game of telephone. Hathich is the message runner in between the father and his daughter. And we see him running back and forth five times in the last 12 verses with messages. Well, in verse 8, Mordecai not only gives her a full report of everything that has happened, he gave her a copy of the written decree ordering their destruction. So he sends Hathach back to Esther to explain everything that's happened, to command her to approach the king and implore his favor and plead with him personally for the Jewish people. Well, Esther, she's not so sure about this. 
Esther reminds Mordecai, if I go to the king unannounced, he has the right to kill me. Do you know what you're asking me to do, what to do here? This could mean certain death. Look at verse 11. She says, all the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned. The death penalty. Unless the king extends the gold scepter, allowing that person to live. I have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days. It's been a month since the king has called for Esther, and she doesn't see this as such a good idea. So Hathach then takes this message from the queen to Mordecai, and Mordecai responds back to the queen, verse 13. Don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you're in the king's palace. Now watch Mordecai's absolute confidence in the Lord's plan. Verse 14. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. Mordecai knows that God will protect his people. God will preserve his people. And he's reminding Esther, if you don't step up, God will raise up another deliverer. But you and your family will die. Mordecai is speaking of God's purposes, stating that God will preserve, God will protect his people. And so if Esther doesn't step up, someone else will. Isn't it interesting how so often when God calls people to a certain task, their response is hesitation? There's a sense of it, I, I don't know about this. Like, I, I don't know if I, I'm, I'm up to this. There's a sense in which, who am I? How can I do this task that you are calling me to? We see this in the life of Moses. When he's at the burning bush and God calls him to go to Pharaoh, he's like, God, would you call somebody else? Are you sure you have the right guy? Here's Esther saying, I don't know about this. But Mordecai reminds her of God's providential plan for her life. Verse 14, who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. He's reminding Esther, God is the one who has put you here. Right here. Right now. For such a time as this. This is your moment. And Esther hears him loud and clear. So she knows that it's number three, a time to plan. Verse 15, we see Esther putting together her plan to go to the king. She says, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king even if it is against the law. If I perish... I perish. Esther accepts the fact that she very well could die. So she puts together a plan and she calls for God's people to gather and to fast on her behalf for three days. Now plans are good, but if they remain, that's all they are is just plans. And it leads us to number four, there is a time to act. 
Esther commands Mordecai, verse 16, to go. And so verse 17, Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded him. Meanwhile, chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther dressed in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom facing its entrance. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard. Now you need to feel the significance of this moment. You can sense that the plot is building. Millions of lives are at stake. Millions of Jews future are hanging in the balance in this moment right here. Esther has one shot before the king. What's going through her mind? What's she feeling? What is she thinking? What about you? What if you were put in the position in which your life was on the line? You're about to go stand before the king with the possibility of death hanging over your head. Do you cower in fear? Do you run away? Do you not show up at all? You see, Esther was ready and willing to put her life on the line for her people. And that is a picture of exactly what Jesus has done for us. You see, the one who defeated death empowers you to stare death in the face without blinking. Do not miss this rich truth. The resurrection of Jesus, it puts steel in your spine when the possibility of death is on the table. I love Hebrews 2. The writer says this, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through, through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Meaning the death of Jesus on the cross not only defeated the devil, but it also set free those who were in slavery, those who were in bondage to fear of death. It means you don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Because Jesus is alive, because the tomb is empty, you don't have to be afraid of death. This is what the gospel does. It empowers you to stare death right in the face without blinking. You don't have to be afraid of dying because Christ is alive. This is your hope. Well, here we see Esther standing firm. So too shall we in Christ be unafraid. Unafraid, We stand firm in the midst of death. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says, for I am persuaded that not even death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And since death died at the death of Christ, what can man do to you? It means that you don't have to be afraid of anything anymore, even death itself. God wants you to walk in the victory that Christ has purchased for you through his death and resurrection. Do you see what God has done for you in Jesus? 
You see, you become an even greater threat to the dominion of darkness through your lack of fear of death. Because what can Satan do to you now? Kill you and send you to heaven to be with Jesus? And then God takes your death and uses the blood of his saints to be a seed for the church, to be the spread of the gospel? Do you see how God is at work even right now? And so if you are here and you fear death, would you so look to Jesus? You can stand with Esther and with the saints of the past and you can stare death right in the face without blinking all because of what Jesus has accomplished for you through his death and through his resurrection. God made you invincible until your time to come home. Don't miss that. Nothing can happen to you unless God says so. And that's good news for our, all of us as his children. When we get to chapter five, verse two, this becomes a Hebrews 11 type moment. Esther is by faith standing in the courtyard of the king, staring death in the face, probably feeling the significance of this moment. And not only is her life at stake, but the lives of millions of other people. Will the king find favor with her? Yes. Look at verse two. She gained favor in his eyes. The king extended the gold scepter in his hand toward Esther, and she approached and touched the tip of the scepter. What is it, Queen Esther? The king asked her. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom, will be given to you. Notice how she puts her faith into action here. If it pleases the king, Esther replied, may the king and Haman come today to the banquet I've prepared for them. The king said, hurry and get Haman so we can do as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared while drinking the wine. The king asked Esther, whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom will be done. Esther answered, this is my petition and my request. If I have found favor in the eyes of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and perform my request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet I will prepare for them. Tomorrow, I will do what the king has asked. So when the crisis came, Esther and Mordecai, they responded with weeping, with learning, with planning, and with action. Now this is a good picture for how you and I, we, we respond to crisis. So that being the case, what are some takeaways from the text? What does this look like for you and I as we're about to be commissioned off this campus in a few moments to go and have impact on our world for Jesus? Let me show you three takeaways from the text. The first is this. Number one, God has given you a purpose. God has given you a purpose. Mordecai, in chapter 4, verse 14, he casts a vision statement before Esther for what her purpose is in this moment. He says, perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. This is a bold statement by Mordecai. He is declaring his confidence in God's providential purposes for her life. 
Now the Apostle Paul echoes this statement when pointing to the providential purposes of God fulfilled in Jesus. In Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. You see, at just the right time, God sent forth Jesus. Don't miss this. God's perfect son came at God's perfect time to deliver God's people. 2,000 years ago, God had a purpose to fulfill through the work of Jesus, and he did so perfectly on our behalf. He lived a perfect, sinless life that you and I couldn't live. And he died a once and for all death on the cross. He was buried, but he did not stay there. On the third day, he arose. He came back to life. He defeated death. And over a period of 40 days, he presented himself to hundreds of people, proving his bodily resurrection. And after those 40 days, he ascended back up into heaven where he sat down at the right hand of God the Father where he is interceding for you even now. That's the gospel. Well, now, at this moment, right here, right now, this is your time. God has placed you right here, right now, for such a time as this, God has strategically, intentionally, providentially, purposefully put you right here, right now, in this moment, for such a time as this. You have a role to play in God's unfolding plan of fulfilling the Great Commission. Right here, right now, this is your time. This is where God has placed you. You have purpose. You have a reason to wake up tomorrow morning and get after it. And it's because the tomb is empty. And you have purpose. And God is saying, I have you here right now for this time. Now, our time is very brief. It's a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. So let us not waste this time that God has put us here now. You have purpose. What we see secondly from the text is that God has given you a ministry. God has given you a ministry. I found it interesting this week watching Hathich go back and forth between Esther and Mordecai. Now, it just hit me. Here he is. He's carrying a message. But little did he know that he was being used by God to save people from death. What a picture of what you and I get to do when we share the gospel. You see, God has given you a, a ministry. Just like Hathach, you're a messenger. You carry God's messages. And your job is to carry God's message to those around you. And your job is quite simple. You just go and tell the message that you have received. We don't change the message. The message is not about us. The message is about Jesus. But we are just like Hathich. We go and carry good news. We go and carry a message to declare to the world around us. And quite simply, our role is just to communicate what we have already heard. And so as you think about people in your life right now, you are a type of Hathich. Hathich. 
You are one who goes and takes God's messages to his people so that they might know and treasure Jesus. This is your ministry. Now, it's going to look different for each one of us in different contexts, in different places. God has placed you in your context to reach your people for Jesus. And for such a time as this, God has placed you in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace to impact your world for Jesus. And this is your ministry. Just like Hathach, your job is to take this message that you have received and you pass it along. How it is received is not up to you. Your mission is to carry the message. And we trust that God will bless his word and he will take the message that comes through your lips and through your life and it will go and have impact on those around you. Y'all, we have a gospel to proclaim to a lost and dying world. We have something to say and we cannot remain silent. But I want you to see thirdly, God has given you a purpose. He's given you a ministry. But number three, God has given you access. Oh, this is so good. Chapter five, King Xerxes, he's on his throne. Esther stands there before the king, unsure if he will show her favor. And she waited for him to extend the gold scepter. If he extends it, she lives. If he does not, she dies. Well, the good news for all people is that King Jesus extends the gold scepter of his grace towards you in the gospel, and he invites you to come into his presence. You see, with Xerxes, only certain people could come to him, but Jesus invites anyone to come and trust in him. Xerxes does not know everyone's name in his kingdom, but Jesus knows everyone's name in his kingdom. Xerxes grows impatient with the constant requests from his people, but Jesus never grows impatient with the continuous requests of his people. With Xerxes, you can only come when you are invited, but with Jesus, he invites you to come boldly to the throne of grace so that you might find help in your time of need. With Xerxes, you enter his presence with fear, but with Jesus, you enter his presence with joy. With Xerxes, you can be killed if you come uninvited, but Jesus was killed on a cross so that you are now always invited to come into his presence. Do you see what God has done for you in the gospel? You have access to the king. It's not like Old Testament days on the Day of Atonement where you can only come one day at one time through one high priest. No, 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 no. The great high priest made a sacrifice once and for all. The curtain is torn top to bottom. You can now go into the very presence of God through Jesus. You have access to the king. Which leads us to our impact point is this, y'all. God has put you right here, right now, for such a time as this to impact your world for Jesus. I've put in your notes an impact quiz. Something you can do this afternoon. It's quite simple. But it's eight questions to help you diagnose your Esther moments where you can see where God has placed you for such a time as this. 
in your city, in your neighborhood, in your family, where you work, where you play, where you go to school. Who are those people? Well, God has put those people in your life for such a time as this so that you might go and have impacts for Jesus. This is what you and I, we get to do until Jesus calls us home is we have a a ministry and it is preaching the gospel. It is taking God's message to those around us. It is through the preaching of the gospel that God is gonna be bringing people into his kingdom. If you don't want your teammates or your coworkers or your family in heaven, then do not tell them about Jesus. But if you want those around you, those whom you love the most, to be gathered around the throne on that great day, you and I have to be like Hathach. We have to open our mouth and communicate the gospel. We have to share the gospel message. We've got to be able to go and take the good news of Jesus to those whom God has placed in our lives right here, right now, for such a time as this. You see, the tin booms, they leveraged their home and they risked their lives so that others could be impacted for Jesus. What about you? Who has God placed in your life so that you might go and have impact for Jesus? God has placed you right here and right now For the foundations of the earth were ever placed, God knew you would be right here, right now. And he placed you in your family, in your home, in your job, in your school for such a time as this. Y'all, let's go leverage all that we have to point people to Jesus Christ. 